Hello. Nice to meet you. I double as the FedEx person. Makes makes it easy. I know they always throw stuff for them. Anyway, hey, come on. All right. Come on over. I think the dog is going crazy. That's fine. Nice. Welcome to the Crown City Podcast. I am your host, James DePietro. From Pasadena, California, this is a show about building a community for all and how we make our neighborhoods our home. On this episode, I'm proud to welcome Rita Ho Betzela, the founder and CEO of Piper and Enza, a company focused on child and parent health and advocacy. Rita's story has taken her around the world. It began in Taiwan as a daughter of parents who built a furniture company from the ground up. A musical gift led her to study piano in Europe and then back to Asia. In the U.S., she graduated from Washington University in St. Louis majoring in music and business management. Rita also earned her MBA from UCLA's Anderson School of Management. Her family business had a significant impact on her career. We talk a little bit about the blessings and challenges that often come with it. Charting her own course, Rita went on to other ventures, like a home furnishings business, an export company, and a vegetarian restaurant in Fullerton. As a mother, Rita identified something missing in how we educate and support children as well as how parents advocate for their families. It all came into focus during COVID, and that was when she launched Piper and Enza. The company creates a safe space for children and parents to learn from stories with books that touch on common healthcare issues kids face. Its latest project is a first-of-its-kind connection journal designed for children 4 to 10 that allows kids to express what they're doing and feeling through words, pictures, and even stickers. As you will hear, Rita and her company are just getting started, and they are already planning to expand their offerings and impact. So without further delay, my conversation with Piper Nenza's Rita Ho Betzela. Rita, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. To get us started, can you share a little bit about your background as we were talking before we were recording and that you're originally from Taiwan? Yes, yes. I grew up in Taiwan. I stayed in Taiwan until I was 13 and I play the piano like half of the Chinese Asian kids out there. And so I then traveled to Austria for a couple of years to study I was good at piano. So yeah, so I ended up doing that for a couple of years. I stayed with a professor. And then by the time I reached 15, my father decided that I should not be going through puberty without parental guidance. <laughs> so and I ended up moving back to Hong Kong. And I finished my high school in Hong Kong at Chinese International School. And then I ended up here in the US for college and I never left since. Wow, that's an incredible story. Yeah, it's fun. So based on your interest in business and health and children, who were some of your early mentors that were especially important to you? Business-wise, my parents were entrepreneurs. They started from nothing and then they built this amazing furniture manufacturing facility in China. And that is really kind of like what how our family built our wealth. There was nothing that was passed down from generations before. And being 
around them all the time and listening to them. And my father is a very preachy Chinese dad. You're always there listening to lessons and whatnot. Now, I'm not going to say that I agree with all of the lessons that I learned, but that was the start. And he didn't believe in me having a musical career. So that was why after graduating from college, I steered towards this whole from home furnishing family business, that type of a thing. And he's thinking about, oh, I can pass this down to my kid and they will be set for life. He grew up poor, so he has got this fear of going back to that place. His lifelong mission back then was always like, I want to make sure like my kids are going to be okay. They know how to make money and they're going to be fine. In terms of health, really didn't happen until I had my own kids. I didn't think much of it. I don't have many problems yet, knock on wood. So my interaction with healthcare is always like once or twice a year. It's never a big deal. It was not until I had children, I realized even with that once or twice with kids, guiding them through those just couple of times a year appointments can get dicey. And as a new mom, I just went with it. They cry, I cry, we all cry. It was what it was. Yeah, so... That's like the story. And during COVID, that's just when everything kind of like came together. When I had to try really, really hard to convince my two and a half year old to wear a mask so we can go to the park. So we're not all stuck in the house for 24 hours a day, seven days a week with no end in sight. And I can't convince her. I'm like, it doesn't hurt. Nobody's doing anything to you. But because of the discomfort, she would just cry. And we all know how horrible it is when you cry with a mask on. And... That's when I'm like, what is missing? Because I know kids are, there's, their kids are going through much harder things and they're going through it and they have to go through it. And then one of my previous boss, I had a little contract job in between, told me about this amazing group of people called Child Life Specialists. I'm like, what are they? I am a mom of two kids. I'm five years into this. How do I know, not know who these people are? I know social workers, but I've never heard Child Life Specialists. And that's when I kind of like fell into the rabbit hole. Recently, you posted on Instagram a picture of you and your, your two kids, mm-hmm. and you had your beautiful Steinway mm-hmm. piano in You're the background. You're paying attention. I was paying attention. Yeah. In preparation to this interview. So how does piano still fit in your life? Piano is a funny thing in my life, and I was really good at it. I was one of the best in my class. I won a couple of competitions, and because of that weird think that this weird idea that my dad had that I'm never going to make it. I didn't pursue it seriously, like how a pro should pursue it since I went back to Hong Kong. I always played it. I was always good. But it's like you're a gymnast or you're, a, you're figure skating. And once you don't train like a professionals do, you fall back and you just, you don't do that anymore. But I always played it. And I know I was good at it and I enjoyed it. So I played all the way through college and it was with my first paycheck. I think my first really stable job, we moved to California and everything. I'm like, I want a Steinway. And so I went to, what was it? Fields Piano in Santa Ana. I lived in Irvine at the time. And they happened to have this like really, really old Steinway beat up, but sounded great for sale for consignment. So that's how I snatched that baby up. I'm never letting that go. That was my first baby. I've had it. And that, that piano, I think it was dated, it was made in 1892. Wow. So I just, I, Sometimes I wish that they will tell me stories. It's, it's, it's a fun thing that I have in the house. Piano gave me the confidence and the, yeah, it gave me the confidence to kind of like be around people. That was something growing up was my crutch. 
so to speak, because that was something that I can always fall back on. And as you get older, like now I am, like being in my 40s, like there's much better musicians, like it's no longer a crutch. So actually for a little while, I want to say the past four or five years, I played very rarely, like just seldom, I'll touch it here and there. And then I would just kind of like fall back. And it was at one point, it was like, I think this is like my midlife crisis. It was one point I was thinking like, what do I really love? I'm in business because that's what my family wanted me to do. And that's just kind of like, that's more of a nurture thing. And piano was something that I was really good at. But I hated practicing when I was young. This is 40 years ago. There was a lot of cane treatment involved to get me to practice. I loved performing but I didn't like to practice. So there was one point I stopped playing because I was thinking like, do I really love it? Or I'd only like it because I'm good at it. And that somehow sent me this like downward spiral. Like I didn't know, like I just, so I just stopped touching it for a very long time. It was not until I want to say the last couple of months I had this breakthrough. I'm like, who cares whether I like it because I'm good at it or I just like it. I like it now. So I'm just going to play it. And me being on the piano, I'm a trained musician that somehow brought me and my kids closer because they're on violin classes. I let them pick. I'm like, you don't have to do piano. I'm actually glad that they're not doing piano because I would just be picky. I actually play the violin too, but I'm not as good in violin as I am in piano. They're playing violin and then we can play together. And it is so much fun. All of that, the drama and the back and forth, and I'm just happy. Now, this is just like part of me. It's nice. It is nice. Yeah. My kids just started piano. I have three kids that are taking piano classes. Mm -hmm. And I tried to be a musician. Didn't take. It's not in my wheelhouse. I I just can't do it. But I would love the opportunity to play with them. I think that would be really fun to play together. And I think it really takes a really good teacher to spark that interest and that drive. I never had the luck, the opportunity to learn from a teacher who is so in tune with what makes the children tick. And I love the girl's teacher right now. Her name is Carrie Salisbury. She's based in St. Gabriel. We go to her house and she, her heart is just in it, both she and her husband. They're just absolutely amazing. And the patience and the tricks and the positive enforcement The kids go to her class coming out feeling good, feeling like I'm a musician. Whereas how I learned it was the opposite, right? It's cane treatment. You got to practice. You're not good enough. And I think I I personally think I'm still working through some of that, those trauma, finding a good teacher, knowing exactly how to talk to children. And at the same time, there is no drive that's better than them themselves want to do it. Right. There is not enough punishment or cane treatment or candy even. There is nothing enough when you compare it to if they really want to play something. And that's what happened to my oldest. Like she was playing this canon and D. We all love that. And she loves it. She doesn't know. She says, I love that piece. I want to go practice. I'm like, oh, and I don't I mean I don't have to ask you to practice. It was it was great. I love the digression to piano and music. I think that's something that I, I love talking about because I'm not I can appreciate it from a non musician standpoint. So I love someone talking to someone that's has been has been trained musically, mm-hmm. but also has a passion for it. Mm-hmm. And it seems like you've rediscovered your passion mm-hmm. somewhat yeah. in the last couple of months, and that's yeah. so cool to hear you going through that cycle of not 
not really participating, not touching it, but now reintroducing yourself to the piano. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you don't forget those kind of things. I feel no, like it's no. like riding a bike. My husband is, he's a triathlete and he, he, he rides bikes and he runs like nobody's business. And I always say, God, I wish I have your stamina and pain tolerance. Like I don't, I'm horrible at it. But then he will look at me as, yeah, but you can just go to the piano and start playing. I'm like, true. So I guess we're even. Yeah. We all have our strengths. Yes. <laughs> My wife has many more than I do, which is fine. <laughs> So you've talked about your kind of non-traditional kind of upbringing. You were in the furniture business. Mm -hmm. Now, did you always want to start your own business or is that kind of something that you were more pressed on you because of your upbringing? I don't think so. I think that is just something that happened. I mean, for the longest time, I worked for my dad. I mean, that was like my first job and only job for a very long time. And my job at the time helping my dad was creating another company here because he is overseas. So it was from that, then you learned the, 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 all the things that you need to know about, you know, incorporating, finding a place and making sure like all the equipments are in and logistics and making contacts. So that, that was like really my first training. But at the time, I didn't think I was thinking, oh, well, opening a business. I think I'm just opening this thing for my father, for the family business. And the, what's funny is that when you're in your 20s and you create a new company. So who are you? You're a founder, CEO of a company. Personally, I like there's not a whole lot you can add to a resume. It's, it's kind of like a really awkward, weird place to be. And I don't want to say that's advantageous at all. Because once we shut that down, like this resume just looks awkward. And I think at the time for me is that I was founder, CEO for one company, my family business, where most of the people, when they're coming in from the outside, they'll look at you, they'll be like, well, nepotism, right? You're an Apple baby, this is your dad's. So once we we closed that business down, because my parents retired, and I don't want to travel overseas and here like as frequently as I did then with two kids, we wind, wound down that business. I thought about going back to work, but it was just this really, really awkward place. And I'm like, what kind of job? And my, and, and, and you know, obviously a lot of self-doubt is that, I was the CEO founder by default. I learned a lot, but am I good enough to go off and somewhere else to lead another company? I don't know. And so I just sat around. And at the same time, I'm, I, I was thinking, I'm like, I really want to be with my children. So at that point, we could afford it. Fine. I will just stay with them. I will learn about them. I will hang with them. I will be the default parent at that point. That's my job. And I just kind of like pull that off. So... Yeah, it was a very weird place to be. I, I can certainly relate to that as a person that works with for a family business. Very small family business, but a family business nonetheless. I'm a partner, but it's like having a partner on your name. Like you said, having a CEO on your name, on your resume, it's a roadblock in, in some ways. And one thing I'm struggling with now, the founding partners are in their 70s. My dad just turned 74 or turned 74 tomorrow, and they have no sign of retiring. One thing I've been struggling with is... Am I working to keep their legacy or am I trying to establish my own legacy? Mm -hmm. And it's hard to figure out that question, right? Mm -hmm. Are you doing it for them or are you doing it for yourself? Right. And that's the conundrum that I'm facing currently. You had the wisdom to figure it out yourself because it didn't seem like the fit was right for you to continue on. Yeah, I think the universe chose for me. Yeah, right. I, and, and I think my dad started his company when I was three. My sister was about one. Maybe she was just barely born. And the cost 
that came with him being away and working, not being present. And again, 40 years ago, men behaved very differently. Fathers, he was he was there. That's like it. And my mom took over everything. So it wasn't happy. It was not a happy family. It was hard. It was hard on my mother who had to do everything. We, I don't really, I can't really say that I know my dad a whole lot. We hear family stories, how he grew up, that type of a thing. But there was that connection that has that's missing it's still missing watching my parents and what they have done we're enjoying this beautiful place because of them and i appreciate that but at the same time i sometimes question myself is at what cost and so i don't want to do that to my kids so i want to say at that point is that you know what thank you for giving me all of this but if i had to pick that is not the path I want to go because I want to be connected with my children. I want them to want to come home and tell me. And I was joking the other day, I can't wait for my daughter to have a boyfriend and then have their heart broken and we'll each have a pint of ice cream sitting on the couch and watching a soppy movie. I want those kind of relationships with my children. And that is not something that I have with my own parents. My husband, on the other hand, his parents are teachers. They're always present. And so watching their family and that dynamic and that bond, and that's what I long for. So I'm just like, yeah, no, no, I don't want to be out of the country four or five times a year. That's not worth it for me. Similar situation to yours that my dad works, he still works six days a week, 7 a.m. to 8 p.m. Oh, wow. kind of thing. And I think back on it, and I would have rather been less successful, but had him home earlier. Yeah. And I think that's, you've expressed that as well. We can't choose the paths anymore, mm -hmm. but it, I don't want to repeat that situation yeah. again with my kids. So I'm, I think I'm overcompensating. I'm, I'm around my kids probably way too much. They probably get sick of me. Well, yeah, I'm sure your I'm sure your kids will, will too. <laughs> my nine-year-old's already started to get, I already get a lot, a lot more eye rolls and uh, pushback, but, but yeah, no, it's an interesting dynamic. And, and mm, yeah. so I appreciate you sharing it. So let's launch into Piper and Enza because mm -hmm. you teased it at the beginning. You started it during the middle of COVID yeah. and to be a resource for parents during a very scary time for all of us that had families. Mm -hmm. and you've talked about this before, but can you talk about what you were going through at home with your own family that kind of gave you the idea? It was one day where we lived um, nearby Linda Vista at the time we we're walking to the park and at that time, I don't remember, I, I think you remember, we didn't know what this was. We didn't know it was airborne, whatever. So everybody was, was encouraged to wear a mask before you head outside. So the kids wanted to go to the park, put on the mask. My firstborn was really good at dealing with it. She was probably a little close to five at the time. The two and a half year old, she has always been feisty. She still is. And at the time, she just, she just won't. She put it on for a little bit. And when it gets started getting a little hot, she just starts crying. Hmm. And... Right before that, two kids, they were in either a preschool or they were in kindergarten. My husband was five days a week in the office. It was it was what it was, but it was like nice. And all of a sudden, next, we all had our space, I guess, to do things. And the next thing you know, like overnight, boom, everybody, four people was in this like little less than 2,000 square foot house together every day, all the time. And it was just a lot. And so... Other way, I'm like, okay, if you're going to cry, I talk to my daughter, if you're going to cry and you're not going to wear a mask, then we have to go home. 
there's other people in the park and there's nothing else we can do. So we walked home and it was on the way home. I'm like, why and how? There are kids going through invasive treatment that they need, otherwise they will literally die. They're going through it because they have to. And I can't imagine they're doing this kind of a tantrum every single time. So how are those parents, what are those parents doing? What resources are out there? And at the time we were at Pacific Oaks Children's School, my little one. And through that school, we knew a lot of amazing, amazing early childhood experts. One of them, his name is Todd Hioki. Shout out to him. He just started his own little preschool called Magnolia Community Nursery School out in San Gabriel. It's a beautiful space. And I, I call him the Caesar Milan of children because he knows like how those little brains tick. It's awesome. So I went to him. We actually ended up creating a pot with him. And he, he, he gives you all of these tricks and different things of what to say, what not to say. And how do you, next thing you know, these kids are all playing together with a mask on when outside is 95, 100 degrees for four hours. So I'm like, I need to basically package up all of these learnings, all of these tricks and tips for all the parents out there. I was definitely a more confident parent. It made it easier. It, it just, it just, you regulate yourself. You don't get into it with them. It, it, was a, it was a game changer. So one of the missions that you have is to empower parents to be their children's healthcare advocates. And I really mm-hmm. like that idea of an advocate. Why do you think parents don't talk about enough about being an advocate? This is the funny thing. And this is actually something that we have seen in Piper and Enzap. First of all, most of the people don't like to talk about things that is illness related until you are ill, right? One of the things, one of the actually, where we're, we're pivoting to, into a tech-enabled platform, but like with our books, everybody loves the books. The universe that we have created is fun and engaging, but nobody thinks about going to buy a book about broken bones until your kid has broken a bone. But at that time, you're not thinking about buying a book anymore. Like it's not something that the society talks about. Parenting classes, they don't teach you about it right? They don't tell you if your kid does this happens, this is what you should do. You don't know about those things until you're already in it. There is that. We don't talk about it. And second thing is that I don't know why, but there is this weird, almost like a hierarchy, this dynamic between the healthcare providers and the parents. If you think about it, the parents are very outspoken when it comes to what kind of schools they're going to go to, what their children are going to go to, who is going to be their piano violin teacher. They have absolutely no problem putting their foot down and say, I like this one. I don't like that one. When it comes to pediatricians, not so much, right? I actually have heard some people, I don't want to do that because I don't want my pediatrician to fire me. So There is this weird dynamic that we don't know exactly know like what caused it. I mean, it could be something that we just passed down from generations and generations or something that they have experienced. But because the medical professionals, they're, they, they're, they have their knowledge and they went to school for a long time. They, they, they're the experts. All of a sudden, the parents like shy back from saying, I don't like this. No, I don't like, I don't like that. They, we turn to pediatricians and nurses for advice. And, and this is something that I was trying to remind people. Actually, we put this thing in our pitch deck at one point is that you know your kid best. Because you know why? If you think about, we consider analogy. If you think about somebody has been at a job for about a year, full-time job, you think they know what they're doing. 
That's what I think the official hours is twenty two thousand forty hours for a full time job or nineteen hundred give or take if you take out the holidays. You spend that much time with your baby for the first three months because you're with them all day, every day, all night, every night. You know that baby. So when you see that something is wrong and something is off, like we need you to speak up because that's good for you and for your child. Like don't second doubt yourself. And I think that's another problem as a new parent. That's all you gotta go. You know, that's all you have, right? It's the self doubt. Am I doing this? Am I good? I was told I'm like, oh, my only goal is like I want to keep this baby alive. I didn't know what I was doing, but yeah. There's a cough that's been going around that my kids have gotten this cough. Not yet. <laughs> yeah. So knock on wood here. And we brought my son into urgent care. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, it's allergies. And we're like, he's never had allergies before. Mm-hmm. It's gotten worse since he's taken the allergy drug. So it's not that. But mm-hmm. I feel like I'm the, I'm the one that took him in. So it's my fault. But if I go in to a doctor's appointment, it's very imposter syndrome, right? Because yeah. I studied business and I studied political science. I didn't go to medical school. I feel like you're the expert. You tell you me. tell me what to do, right? And I'll just accept it. Mm-hmm. But I think part of your mission is to push back on that a little bit, yeah. And in a, in a very respectful way, but also a very important way, in that to kind of challenge some of that those assumptions in order to provide the, a better healthcare experience for your child and make sure that they get the, the Absolutely. proper care. I mean, I think what I want all parents to know is that don't be shy. Like I said, like you spend almost 2,000 hours with your child for the first three months. You're with them day in, day out. You know what is normal, what is not normal. And I, at some point, I want to give the parents basically, these are this is what's going on. I know something is wrong. And push back, like I want some of the test run. Please look at him. And at the same time, I think by having these conversations more and more making it something that's more common, the other side is going to pick it up too. Oh yeah, we got to like back off a little bit or we need to be more engaging or do we need to change something that is in our protocol that hopefully will be more conducive in improving patient outcome, patient experience, what have you. And you start to see that. I mean, there are certainly pediatricians that do that. It's just, it's unfortunate that this is not something that I don't think it's part of the curriculum when you go through medical school. And then so when you talk to pediatricians, and we, we have a couple of them on our advisory board, I'm like, why is there such a big variance? Whereas some of them are just so amazing. And then some others, it's like, oh, yeah, your kid doesn't want this. We'll have five nurses out there. We can just hold them down and we'll be real quick. I mean, this is like, you, you will never do that to an adult. So why would you do that to a child? Right. And it all comes down to maybe during their residency, do they have a really good mentor that showed them the way? And I feel like that is something that's really ne- that really needs to change. Is that you, we, If you're training these doctors... I get it. It's hard. And sometimes you have to kind of like turn off that emotional side of things. You can't get too attached just for their own well-being. But at the same time, make that connection or at least have some sort of a protocol like SOP where you're addressing their concerns. And doctors are facing such a burnout. In the last couple of years, we lost, we've had a pediatrician for years and years and years, and we've loved her. And she just had to retire because she's had her own health issues. Mm -hmm. And she's young. She's our age. Mm -hmm. And she had to retire early. Mm. And it's like going through that and now we have to reintroduce a whole new doctor into the whole process. But we had a very loving doctor and I'm just concerned about what's going to happen with the next doctor. You build such a rapport with with your pediatrician Mm -hmm. and to lose that all of a sudden, now you have to rebuild that trust up again. 
you're starting from scratch is very hard. And this is really a systemic, a systemic thing, right? I mean, we were just talking. I was just talking to another pediatrician. Uh, I think he's based out of Tennessee. And there is that lack of focus on primary care, family-centered care. I, I just feel we need to rebuild that relationship. I, I, th- I think when we were growing up, our parents can pick up a phone and call the doctor and say, hey, my kid is doing this and that. What do I do now? And now that is no longer an option. And like I said, like there's this weird thing going on with healthcare right now. You go on to Dr. Google, you go on to WebMD, and you're trying to self-diagnose, and then it's messy, but hopefully we'll be able to fix it little by little. Little by little. I'd like to be more of a positive parent. Mm-hmm. And there are elements of that that you know are, are counterintuitive to how we were raised sometimes. Okay. But I would love for there to be like a hotline. For, I'm dealing with this situation. Tell me what the positive parenting or respectful parenting mm-hmm. response would be. Like, mm-hmm. just give me some instructions so that I'm not out kind of in the wilderness. I need a hotline to give me some advice because we don't get that. We have to find books and who has time to read books i'm sorry but you listen or, to podcasts i listen to podcasts yes <laughs> very good nice pitch but yeah there are really good parenting podcasts mm-hmm, out there mm-hmm. but yeah so i had a question before we dive into some other topics which is mm-hmm. piper and enza is not only the name of your company but piper is a character of the three books you've released which is running of the noses the difference between needles and noodles and broken bones and broken hearts yeah so how do these stories educate and prepare children for health issues it's really about preparing and coping, right? I, I think that is, that's like the premise of the, the company, the mission of Piper and Enza is that, and, and I, I chose this specific topic to be entrepreneurial about is because that is, that is the one common thing that all human beings go through. You're all going to get, you're all going to get hurt at some point. You're all going to get sick. And then again, like this is another COVID thing is that COVID is not going to be here forever. This is something that I kind of like taught myself to do during that time when you don't know when the lockdown is going to be lifted, when you don't know what is going to happen next and everybody is here, kids are not going to school. And a lot of the people were just suffering, I guess. They were suffering. They're not sick. They're just suffering because they are focused on how horrible it was. But if you kept your sight at the light at the end of the tunnel, knowing that there is a light and you change that perspective, then everything around you changes. Oh, I get to do this. I get to sleep until nine o'clock and then take a yoga class. Like I don't have to do this. I don't have to do that. I don't have to shuttle my kids around. And I personally love parties, but sometimes those birthday parties can get a little overwhelming and that has reduced and we got camping. Like there are so many things that good things that came out of COVID. So same thing with any of the illnesses, at least the three that we have described. I get it. There are some of them, they're chronic and they're hard, but for a lot of them, they aren't. And so whether it's runny noses or it's a needle poke or it's a broken bone, we wanted to create the story with, a, with fun. And so pe- the kids can see what that arc is from getting hurt or getting sick to in the middle of it, how they cope with it. And the fact that it will end, the fact that it's not going to be forever. And so that was really 
the purpose of the books and at the same time, obviously giving the parents the right language because all three books were actually collaborated with three experts. First was Dr. Krupa out on the on the East Coast. I think she's in Virginia. She's a pediatrician about runny noses, what to, what to look for and what all that good stuff, how to make them feel better. Needle Noodle was collaborated with my one of my favorite child life specialists, Katie Taylor. She's also actually, she also has a podcast called Child Life on Call. And she's based out of Austin, Texas. And she gave us like all of the tricks. And that's the thing. It's like none of these things last forever. And they don't have to be traumatic. If you know what to say, how to prepare, and create a coping plan with your kids so they can practice. They can practice and they will like own they will own that value. It's like, this is not forever. It's quick. I can do this and we'll be done. And then you move on. I think that is like really the common thread through any of the stories that we tell. You, you do the best you can. You try to look at it from a different perspective and then you so you can move through it in hopes that right now we're talking about physical pain, but this really also applies to some non-physical issues, whether it's grief whether it's, I don't know, grief, loss, all of those things. You're talking about broken hearts with your daughter earlier. And that's, yeah. But I mean, the same, the same, yeah. the coping mechanism is, is the, same, the same process. Thing. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that is the way to really build a more resilient next generation. If you think about it, it's, it's not about, I mean, I, I want to sometimes wrap my kids in hockey suit, like a, bu- a bubble wrap them. But no, like you've got to teach them how to acknowledge pain be able to sit with it, to feel it, and move through it. I think that's my goal as far as my parenting journey is concerned, is if you're good with that, then you're set for life. And that has to do with any of the disappointment that your kids may face. They will, whether it's in a job place, personal relationships, romantic relationships, friendships. We're starting to see that already now at fourth grade. Yeah, that's really like the meat of it. I want to share a personal story, which is I have four kids and two of them have had uh, medical issues. Mm -hmm. My youngest had life-threatening medical issues when she was born. And so she was transferred to CHLA and she had surgery Mm -hmm. to address it. And she's doing really well now and her prognosis is really good. Mm -hmm. So we're very fortunate in that regard. Mm -hmm. But one of the two things that we got from CHLA were were a book and dolls Mm -hmm. and her condition, I'm not going to go into it because it, it's her story. I want yeah, her to tell it absolutely. at some point. Yeah. But she does have a scar. Okay. And so one of the books that she got, and we, we've read to our kids that, that are older, but it's a, it's a story about a child that has a scar, mm-hmm. and they have a special name for it, and they mm-hmm. talk about how she got it mm-hmm. and what it means mm-hmm. and how it's become like a superpower and an yeah. example of what she's done. And they also gave us dolls for each of our three kids, other three kids that have the scar on it. And so it's a way of explaining that this is your baby sister. She has this scar mm-hmm. and that it's okay. And that, and the same with the book, it's you're explaining the situation. You're trying to educate the child, mm-hmm. trying to educate the siblings as well Yeah. with the idea that this has happened to you. You're getting special care. You're going to be okay. Yeah. And I think those were really Something that I, I didn't expect as an ancillary thing from the hospital. Mm-hmm. You don't expect those kind of resources, but I think those are so critical. And I think as she gets older, I mean, she doesn't know any different now. I mean, she doesn't, you know, it's just her, her body and her life. But as she gets older, she's two, she's going to have questions. And this book will hopefully right. help her 
Just yeah. like your books educate about broken bones and mm-hmm. needles and stuff like that. So I think it's 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 amazing the power of these resources that we don't really really think about. Yeah. But can have a really big impact on the lives of our children. Absolutely. And the fact that they see themselves in the story or someone like them in the story, that's representation right there for right. you. And right. that is so important. And I think that happens to so many children. Like you're going through something hard. Inevitably, we all ask the question, why me? You feel that the loneliness, the pain, and having a story, having a book out there with characters and storylines that's similar to yours, that is so important. Just being feeling like, oh, like I'm not alone and I have got others out there and everybody is rooting for me and supporting me. Right. I mean, just the just the mental aspect of it is, is valuable. Mm-hmm. So this year you launched a Kickstarter campaign around the Big Book for Kids, which is a connection journal designed around storytelling with drawings, stickers, and writing. Mm-hmm. Now the campaign goal was originally $10,000 mm-hmm. and you reached, I think last time I saw it was 18000 yeah. mm-hmm. And you had 193 donors, which is amazing. Thank you. So why did you decide to produce a journal and how important is it for children to be self-expressive? The mission for Piper and Enza is always about stories, right? I think our slogan is healing begins with sharing stories. It begins with you going to the doctors telling them what's wrong. That's a story. What happened? You have a cut on your head. What happened? That's a story. And it's interesting that when we were, when I was brainstorming with Todd Hyoki, my guru, he basically said that kid, that's how really kids learn is through stories and how they process. So let's say if something traumatic happened to your child, like maybe they fell off the bike and they are talk they they will keep on talking about that story over and over and over to every single person that they see and sometimes it makes the parents or like really really uncomfortable oh my god they are so traumatized they're still talking about it i now and now i know better that's how they process that's how their brain is working so i always want to know what my kids are thinking about but at the same time we all have those days that we go to pick them up from school and then you ask them in the car so how was your day? Fine. Good. Why are you asking? You can get anything out of them. And if you think about it, it makes sense, right? I mean, they don't have the vocabulary. It really takes a really well-read, what, eight, nine-year-old to really start telling you how they feel. I mean, heck, I still have a, tr- I still have a problem articulating my own feelings. My thing is that there's many brilliant journals out there for children, but they're all using words and a lot of words. And unfortunately, my six-year, seven-year-old right now, she barely reads. My nine-year-old is a reader. She reads like nobody's business. But my little one, she doesn't. And so I don't know what she's thinking about. Todd was really influenced, influenced me on this. He is a big advocate for Reggio, Amelia's approach in terms of early childhood education. And one of the things in Reggio is about 100 languages of children. They can tell you a lot of things without using words. And so that's how the big book for kids kind of like came about. Then give them stickers, give them a crayon and have them just go to town and draw because every single kid knows how to draw. Minds are drawing it too. And that allow them to express themselves and communicate. And so that's why I call it a connection journal because that's how I connect with my kid. I think we all have those moments in our parenting journeys. I don't know what you want and you can't, you are unable to tell me what you want. So now we're all just playing this guessing game, right? I see you nodding over there. I mean, I have many of those moments and I'm hoping like having this journal there 
will allow just everybody to communicate better so we can get a little window into our kids' heads like what is really on your mind like what are you thinking about and I mean we have the you know we have the prototype of the journals and the, I've been like getting a ton of innovation from my kids and I just I love it there have been many more companies that have been created to serve the more of the social emotional well-being of children mm-hmm. Piper and Enza is one example Slumberkins is another yeah. one Mm-hmm. Do you think more brands will focus on well-being rather than just making products that serve no other function than just just, just to be toys? I hope so. <laughs> and and I think that is really more of a demand-driven thing too. Sure, kids are always going to have that gadget and dolls and whatnot, but you're starting to see Mattel pivoting with Barbie. Now it's all more about like empowerment and whatnot. So I think I'm seeing a very, very promising, optimistic trend to go in that way. I mean, that's what we do in our house. Some of those catalogs just goes from the mailbox straight to the recycling bin. I don't even bring them in. But then, you, yeah, I think you have... Yeah, I think like a lot of them are definitely a little, a lot more mindful. And I feel like this generation of parents are also more mindful. And I think supply and demand, once the demand is there, somebody is going to fill that gap in the marketplace. So you've recently shared that in an interview that you always wanted to make a positive impact and that you believe that with Piper and Enza you have. So reflecting on your career, has Piper and Enza been the most rewarding? Yes. Actually, yes, I think it's most most rewarding in terms of the impact that we're making and in the community and personally too. This is like the first thing really at the age of ripe age of forty four. The first thing really I've like just created out of thin air before I worked for family. There was like a big how do you say it? It was like a big safety net. I was I wasn't gonna go anywhere, but the amount of risk that I'm taking. I was joking. I have never networked this hard my entire life. But knowing what is out there and listening to people's stories and making connections and putting out a product that I just kind of like created and then like people liking it. I mean, it's been amazing. Yeah. It's really fun. It is. It's um, scary as heck. Oh, it is. <laughs> I mean, I, this, this podcast is sort of like that, but I had the kind of the safety net still in the background that I had a day job to support me. It's a little bit different for you, but... But yeah, having something that's your own mm-hmm. is is very empowering. It's and it's so much more rewarding. It um, is, and what's the funny thing is that is that that's the kind of like how life works. I couldn't have done this in my twenties, right? I wasn't a parent. There was no way. And then yeah, this is the most rewarding. But at the same time, looking back, this is how it had to happen. It's, so yeah, I'm just embracing it all. Learn trying to. Think of the things, remember the things I learned when I was working with family business, trying to take a, like a more of a 30,000 feet view and looking at like, well, what worked, what didn't work, why didn't it work? And, and applying those lessons to what I'm doing now. And, but then this is mine and this is something that I feel so passionate about. So yeah, it's been fun. One of the show's many goals is to connect with different people and to explore how they can come together. And parenthood is a very special way of bringing people together, both the good and the bad. Mm. So does having sick children, both acute and chronic. So what community have you created with Piper and Enza? Right now, I mean, it's still pretty local. We haven't really kind of like done our big national thing. I think this next pivot, which I'm very excited about, and we will announce it soon, um, will will, will be that product. But really, like parents in our local community, I will get phone calls with or email or texts like, my kid is going to do this. What do I do? But really just people 
either in our social media group or whatnot with the child life specialists. And yeah, we're just like exchanging stories and giving, actually right now we're still giving like individualized advice when some parents are going through certain thing. And right now, most of them is through social media. So it's, yeah, I mean, we're just sharing stories and sharing tricks and tips and experiences. And hopefully we're building and holding everybody up. Like we're so open, I think. And then that is really like the mission that we have between me and Tarane, my co-founder, who is up in Oakland, is we are really determined to help every single parent out there who feels stuck, who like just look at their kid and I don't know what to do or like I'm scared or whatever it is. Like that's all we want to do. We're the two people behind those social media accounts and we're answering every single messages that that comes in because that is really what we want to do. This is so important to us. Put it this way. I was doing my pitch deck yesterday because we just applied for an accelerator and I I don't know how I not know this before, but there is 40 some percent of U.S. children that has at least one chronic condition. That's one in two. I'm like, I know there's a lot, but I did not know there was one in two. And that is hard. Every random person that I come across, like one, like nine out of 10, they all have a story to tell me about what happened to their kid. And And then so it's validating. I'm like, okay, we need this. But at the same time, it just makes me feel even more strongly about we got to get this to everyone because this is not a little problem. This is not just, oh, that's not going to happen to us. Or this is just some small little population out there that's experiencing this pain point. It isn't. On the street, there is 10 houses, five houses have all, if there's like all of us have kids, five houses we'll have, have to deal with this kind of issue. So, so shoot us a DM, shoot us an email. And that's kind of like, I will do that. Like I will actually tell you what to do, what, where to look for resources, where to find a child life specialist, whatever it could help. So. You've teased it a little bit, but when you think about the next five years, the mm-hmm. next, next year, the next five years and beyond, what are your plans for Piper and Enza? My vision. Now I, now I feel like I have to announce it. Remember I was telling you about we're pivoting. And I think I also before that, I alluded to the fact that we have a little product market fit issue because I can't tell the parents to go buy a book about broken bones until their kid has broken a bone. And by then it's too late. So we want to pivot into something that's more tech enabled, more on demand, that you can have a place to go look for resources or language, story, tips, write your fingertips as things happen. That's what we want to do. But ultimately, 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 what I really want to see is, and hopefully that will be us, is creating a space where families with children and their holistic health will be looked at, taken care of type of a thing. So if you think about from the baby is being baby is born, maternal health, lactation support to babies, any of the wellness appointments and having a place that will hold you, having a place that is child life centered, having a place that will guide you through how all of those places, how all those procedures and appointments will look like. Um, create a space where all the specialists talk to each other apparently is a big thing (laughs) we all know especially nowadays with social media all the information how physical health can 
affect mental health and and behavioral health, like somehow they're all interlinked. And we're starting to see some of those enterprises spotting clinics, health clinics popping up for at least in the femtech area or feminine health. TI is one of them. They're in town. They look at women as a whole woman. And that's what I want to do. Like eventually we want to elevate Piper and Enza from something that only exists in the books to something that you can experience in real life. So a brick and mortar? maybe 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 we'll see where it goes exciting yeah i just think it's it's long overdue it's we need a place like that and i always create things because i want it so we'll see we'll see where the universe takes us fun and final question which is we're in la Cunada. yeah you you graciously invited me to your home if you could design a perfect day in or around la Cunada, mm-hmm. from breakfast to late night what would you do where would you go and what would you eat and drink that's that is that that's a big question okay it is a big question and i give it to everyone and everyone forgets that i gave it to them and so they they run they get this look on their face where they're like oh my gosh i didn't think about that but yes i absolutely love this little coffee shop down on foothill called constellation they have the best coffee in town it's a very small town i would go there probably grab my rose vanilla latte with oat milk that's my go-to drink do you know kevin Yes. The owner? Yes, yes, yes. Also, you go there too. All right. I, I do go there uh, on occasion. Kevin started as a barista at Found Coffee. Oh, at, at I did not know that. I yes. know the lady who owns Found Coffee. Oh, that yeah. That is so funny. Annie. Yeah. I had Annie on the podcast. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's that's hilarious. I did not know Kevin worked there. Yeah, so Kevin worked at, huh. at one point. Okay. Um around here so for sure coffee down there i feel like i need to give like shout outs or something to like all the la Cunada places okay Please. i'm just gonna tell you what i love about la Cunada and pasadena my go-to places and then we can figure out how we're gonna do the day thing i love it so coffee and constellation descanso is a must i mean i love that place i think they have got things going on right now i don't go there enough and actually right by our house there's a trail that you can just walk straight to descanso i don't even drive it's like a mile 20 minutes it's it's great. Agnes in Pasadena is pretty amazing. That's kind of like when they have people in town, lunch, dinner. That's one of my favorite places. But if I were like a perfect day, I'm a shopper. My husband knows that. He's not ecstatic. But and I love those little shops out in where is it? In Neil Rock in Colorado. Like just just hanging out over there or go over like to Highland Park. And like, yeah. That kind of stuff. Yeah. I know my kids used to take art classes over a purple twig. So we will go okay. around there. Bunch of moms will buy some treats and maybe a little glass of wine at Milk Farm. Like that's always fun. That's what we will do. Yeah, I think my ideal day is really just chill and just walk around like in those little places and and yeah. Dinner, 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 dinner. Agnes, like I said, it was it was a big thing. This one is not really in the Pasadena area. You can expand it. It's can I a little bit? Yeah, a little absolutely. bit. One of my favorite restaurants is the Girl on the Goat. Like, or Cabras. Like, whatever Chef Stephanie does. I mean, I love her stuff. And that is like the indulging part. If I get to indulge, then that's probably where I will go. Yeah, that's like my perfect day. That sounds good. That's yeah. a nice day. <laughs> I like it. Thank you for creating a company whose mission is it, it is to educate and empower both parents and children, for sharing your passion for well-being with us all, and for coming on the podcast. I greatly appreciate it. Thank you so much. I had so much fun.
My many thanks to Rita for coming on the show. Sometimes people wish they could go back in time when things were simpler and become a kid again when they didn't have a care in the world. But being a child is amazingly hard and I have no desire to relive that era. The world is big and new, your bones are breaking, and feelings are overwhelming. Parenthood is on the complete other side of the spectrum, but equally challenging because one is trying to navigate adulthood, all the while guiding a child through some of their scariest times. Simply put, we do not do enough to support children and parents. As I record this, I'm watching the baby monitor, I'm losing my voice having picked up either bronchitis from my wife or RSV from one of my children, and that's just the way it is. It doesn't get easier. We send unsuspecting adults home with babies and let them fend for themselves. Maybe a book or podcast provides some guidance, but we need more. That is why I'm excited that Piper and Enza exists, and look forward to what Rita and her team are building. For more information, please visit piperandenza.com and follow them on social media for the latest news and information. Continuing our collaboration, the featured song is All Right Here by the Pasadena based wife and husband duo, The Next Doors. All Right Here is from Mika and Russell's debut album, Linda Vista. Please follow them on social media and at nextdoorsmusic.com for their next live shows. There are so many people that keep the show going. I want to thank my Patreon sponsors. I really appreciate your continued support. Second, to my wife who's watching our sick kids right now so I can record this. And to all that listen, thank you. If you've enjoyed this conversation, please subscribe, rate, and review the show or support it through direct underwriting or Patreon. This is the only podcast that has never been supported by a mattress company, AG1, a meal kit company, or BetterHelp. But if Huckberry or L.L. Bean are looking, please let me know. I would love your comments, feedback, and suggestions. You can reach me at james at thecrowncitypodcast.com and follow me on Instagram. Until next time, please remember to stay well, stay healthy, and as always, see you around town. For the, I always mess this up. Why do I mess this up? I do this all the time.